0: Before 1970, it was common to walk outside your home, travel a few miles in any direction, and see clouds of black smoke thrusting out of factories and invading the clean air around it. The companies that own many of these factories would not get into any trouble when they also dumped tons of toxic waste into nearby streams that kids would play on in hot summer days. It was perfectly legal. No one cared about our environment. There was no EPA, No laws dictating what you could and could not do on the Earth. Nothing in place to prevent what is now a pretty big problem. However, there is now hope, or at least, hope that has come temporarily. My name is Jeremy Shouse, and this is Let's Take It Back, a podcast that uncovers and discusses the origins of society's favorites. This episode will focus on this place we all consider home, but what we also like to trash like it was a teenager's bedroom, Earth specifically the singular day dedicated to it, and how honestly ridiculous that sounds. Every year on Father's Day, I grab a few beers, maybe a pizza, and sit down with my dad to spend some rare quality time with the man who inspires me every day. I don't get to see him as much as I used to, but on Father's Day, I make it a point to spend as much time as I can with him. But he always reminds me of the same thing. It may say that it is Father's Day on the calendar, but every day is Father's Day. He always says it, and I always laugh, and say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but he is right on the money. He doesn't stop being my father when Father's Day ends, and I don't only think of him as my father when the calendar tells me. However, we love to consider ourselves as great sons and daughters when society tells us it's time to and then wait until the next year to rekindle our appreciation. We dismiss the rest of the year and miss various opportunities to remind our father we do love him. Can you think of a similar idea? The relationship we have with the earth is very similar to how we look at our calendars. We pay attention when the day is written down and when it is time to buy something for someone, but are we truly making the best investment? And I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about time and change let's take it back a bit. In 1962, the author Rachel Carson published a book titled Silent Spring. It was an immediate bestseller and focused on how detrimental pesticides were to the American countryside. In 1969, a fire erupted on the Cuyahoga River, located in Cleveland, Ohio, and shed light on the problem of chemical waste disposal in our water. However, these two big events in the 1960s did not raise enough eyebrows towards environmentalism to really push for a change. Factories still pumped black smoke into the air, chemical dumping continued, and even having a gas-guzzling car was seen as a sign of wealth. This is where Gaylord Nelson, a senator from Wisconsin, steps in. Nelson is considered as one of the leaders of the modern environmentalist movement and made it a point to convince the federal government that our Earth was at risk. Being inspired by various anti-Vietnam War teach-ins that were occurring at college campuses nationwide, Nelson envisioned a large-scale grassroots campaign to, quote, shake up the political establishment and force this issue onto the national agenda. In the fall of 1969, Nelson announced his Earth Day concept at a conference in Seattle, and his ideas spread rapidly. He later recalled, and I'm quoting here, The wire services carried the story from coast to coast. The response was electric. It took off like gangbusters. Telegrams, letters, and telephone inquiries poured in from all across the country. The American people finally had a forum to express its concern about what was happening to the land, rivers, lakes, and air. And they did so with spectacular exuberance. Through a tremendous grassroots campaign that targeted educational institutions from kindergarten to universities, the first Earth Day occurred on April 22nd, 1970, and saw over 20 million protesters take to the streets. There were rallies in Philadelphia, Chicago, and Los Angeles, to name a few. In New York City, Mayor Lindsay blocked off part of Fifth Avenue to traffic and spoke at a rally in Union Square with other celebrities. In Washington, D.C., thousands of people listened to speeches and performances from musicians, and Congress went into recess so its members could speak to their constituents at Earth Day events. Everyone seemed to be getting involved, and attitudes about protecting the environment became fairly popular, with now almost 25% of the population seeing the protection of the earth as a top priority, a 2,500% increase from 1969. Now that's a grassroots campaign. Throughout the 1970s, various changes aimed towards environmentalism emerged. In response to this new popular opinion, President Richard Nixon and Congress created the Environmental Protection Agency, which was tasked with protecting human health and safeguarding the natural environment, the air, water, and land. Congress also passed the Clean Air Act, the Water Quality Improvement Act, the Endangered Species Act, and the Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act. Did this new agency and laws really make a positive impact for the environment? The answer is a little more complicated, but we will come back to this point. The idea of protecting Earth on a massive scale did not stay within the United States, mainly because nations across the globe were beginning to experience trans-border pollution problems. For example, coal-fired power plants in the United Kingdom spewed sulfur and nitrous oxide gases into the air, which were picked up by the northerly winds and transported hundreds of miles before returning to northern Europe as acid rain, snow, and fog. Snow and fog don't seem too bad, And will be seen as less of an anomaly especially in the cold dark areas in northern europe but acid rain you don't mess with uncontrollable drops of water that melt cars and houses and is now killing lakes and forests in germany and in sweden the leaders of the world came to the craziest of conclusions solutions would only come through active participation and collaboration with each other wow what a powerful statement who would have thought that working together can bring greater achievement. To kickstart some healthy teamwork, the first global conference on the environment occurred in Stockholm from June 5th to June 16th of 1972. Representatives from 113 countries attended the conference and they all adopted the Stockholm Declaration on the Human Environment, which stated that humans have a fundamental right to create an environment that allows for life of dignity and well-being. The United States was a huge proponent of the conference and the acts that followed, and they even advanced a series of actions to restrict commercial whaling, regulate ocean dumping, and created the World Heritage Trust to preserve wilderness areas and scenic national landmarks. Even more surprising was Nixon's response to all the new measures to protect the Earth. As he stated, For the first time in history, the nations of the world sat down together to seek better understanding for each other's environmental problems and to explore opportunities for positive action, individually and collectively. Is this the correct, President Nixon? To continue the United States' newfound passion for environmentalism, the U.S. helped to establish the world's premier environmental institution, the United Nations Environment Program. In an address to Congress on February 8, 1972, Nixon proposed establishing a $100 million environmental fund, almost $600 today. This fund would be utilized to support effective international cooperation on environmental problems and would go to establish a coordination point for UN activities. Nixon even recognized that the United States was one of the top polluters in the world and pledged to provide 30% of the total sum over the first five years. At this point, Nixon is looking like an earth superhero, fighting clouds of black smoke and deforestation with one pledge after another. By the 1990s, the U.S. was providing $21 million annually to the fund. However, as all good things come to a slow and painful end, in 1994, Republicans won control of both the House and the Senate and cut the amount provided to the fund from $21 million to just $5.5 million. Currently, the United States contributes around $6 million annually, which is 30% less than the Netherlands contribution, a country whose economy is 20 times smaller now it's getting sad again. Every Earth Day has its own theme for the year. Past themes have included recycling, clean energy, global warming, environmental and climate literacy, and cleanups. The theme for this year, 2020, is climate action. And several activities were planned to be held until the COVID-19 outbreak. However, many activities were moved to an online format in order to continue community involvement. The theme of climate action comes on the heels of various climate disturbances that have ravaged the planet over the last year to include the massive wildfires that have destroyed millions of habitats and species in Australia and in the Western United States. I want to revisit the question I posed earlier on whether or not the new agencies and regulations actually helped our environment the way it was intended to. The answer is similar to new year's resolutions. We start off really strong and have our minds set on our new goal and our life ahead of us. But slowly over time, we drift away and almost forget what our goal was in the first place. You can also examine it as the Father's Day scenario I discussed, and that we really decide to show our love for the Earth when Earth Day is here, but then just kind of forget about it until next year. The main problem with both of these outlooks is that the Earth is still here, and we are still here, and nothing can change unless we, the most destructive species on the planet, does something about it. If you would like some facts about how the Earth has changed ever since the first Earth Day 50 years ago, here are some for you now. Number one, a quarter of all North American birds are now extinct, a loss of nearly 3 billion animals. Number two, every year more and more species are declared extinct from habitat loss, overfishing, and climate change. Since 1970, over 467 species have been declared extinct. Within the last year, the Earth lost the Chinese paddlefish, the cryptic tree hunter bird, and is close to losing the Sumatran rhino, which is now extinct in many of the places it once lived. Number 3. More and more cars are let loose on roads across the globe over the last 50 years, which has seen a surge in the total amount of carbon dioxide in the air. This gas has steadily been trapping in heat, causing global temperatures to rise. Even with the introduction and new fad of electric and hybrid vehicles, the air is still full of the chemical. Number four. The Clean Air Act of 1970 did truly help the decline of three major gases that are detrimental to our health, nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and lead. These chemicals, when mixed with the air, create smog, which sickened thousands and killed 20 people when it hit the industrial town of Denora, Pennsylvania in 1948. Number five. With the increase of the global population over the past 50 years, so has the amount of waste. In 1970, the average US citizen generated 3.25 pounds of waste compared to almost 4.5 pounds of waste today. Also, with the explosion in the use of plastic for almost everything, the amount of plastic wasted has skyrocketed from 50 million tons to 320 million tons. And even though recycling and composting has increased annually, there is still a large chunk of material that ends up in landfills, slowly seeping into the soil and water resources. Number six. In relation to my last point, here are five words for you. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It is the world's largest collection of floating trash and it lies between Hawaii and California. It is said to be larger than the state of Texas And microplastics make up 94% of the estimated 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic. Just for reference, microplastics are eaten by fish and then show up on your dinner plates. Mmm, delicious. It is important, however, to realize that even though the laws, agencies, and regulations have not been the most impactful over the last 50 years, there has been gradual progress in certain areas. And when it comes to conservation and environmentalism, every little bit counts. What is even more eye-opening is the state of the planet today. As this pandemic has swept the planet, it has forced humanity to retreat indoors, stopped our frequent mobility, and drastically changed the way industries operate. But that has been a win for Mother Nature. For example, China has seen a 40% decline, and the United Kingdom has seen a 60% decline in nitrogen dioxide present in the air, which is caused by burning fossil fuels in cars and in power plants. This type of air pollution is linked to more severe symptoms than coronavirus, and some researchers believe that the drop in air pollution has saved 20 times as many lives. Wildlife has begun to roam areas they once did, but have since been taken over by human expansion. Being roadkill is not a major factor toward sheltering, and coyotes are now roaming the Golden Gate Bridge, deer are grazing near the White House, and wild boars are hanging out in Barcelona. Welcome back. Earth Day should not be represented by a single day, but should be thought about every day. This world has been dying since humans became the dominant species, but through awareness and grassroots efforts, as well as world leader intervention, the climate and health of the planet has been given more attention. The worst thing that can happen moving forward is that nothing changes when countries reopen. We can't forget about how important environmentalism is. The pandemic has demonstrated the deadly consequences of ignoring expert warnings, of political delay, and of sacrificing human health and natural landscapes for the economy. To quote the man who began all of this 50 years ago, The ultimate test of man's conscience may be his willingness to sacrifice something today for future generations whose words of thanks will not be heard. Now get out there and go hug a tree. But do it one at a time. We are still battling a virus after all. Special thanks to History.com, The Conversation, Vox, and National Geographic. Go enjoy the fresh air and stay safe. My name is Jeremy Shouse, and this has been Let's Take It Back.